Hello and welcome to Fidelity ETF Exchange powered by Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. In this episode of the Fidelity ETF Exchange, host Etienne Yokus Bouchard welcomes Audrey Kim to the show. Audrey is a capital markets analyst on Fidelity Canada's ETF team. As Fidelity Canada celebrates the fifth anniversary of its first ETF launch, Audrey explains to investors what ETF products Fidelity offers and elaborates on its many categories such as equity factors, fixed income, thematic, multi-asset, and more. Etienne and Audrey also touch on the five common myths about ETFs and also five tips when it comes to trading ETFs. This podcast was recorded on September 22, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fidelity ETF Exchange. I'm your host, Etienne Jean-Cabouchard, a.k.a. EJB. And I'm very glad to be back recording another episode of the Fidelity ETF Exchange. It's been a bit more than a month, but... As I'm sure many of you that are that are listening, we took the time to take a little bit of vacation in August and to recharge the batteries for a very packed fall. Um, it's been quite an interesting year so far for the Canadian ETF industry. Uh, just some of the few notable trends or highlights that I could mention. Obviously, uh, we do this quarterly recap, but I always like to, to chat about kind of some of the main flows that we've seen. And August was another really strong month. And we're up to a bit more than $25 billion net new assets in the Canadian ETF industry. So really, really continuing on a strong momentum that's been built up since, you know, 2020, uh, if you will, with some very strong inflow years. And it, it's going to be really interesting to see where we wrap up the year at, uh, given you're starting to see more breadth among the various asset classes, fixed income leading the way, cash alternatives continue to be strong, but uh, also equities, you know, obviously a net, net positive inflow. So just a a really good year so far for the for the ETF industry. As for today's episode, and actually usually we do a recap, but I'll keep it nice, short and sweet. Uh, our last episode was one of our quarterly recaps where we talked a lot about flows. It is available on fidelity.ca or on your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can check it out there if you want to have a listen. Uh, so as for today, uh, we have a really interesting episode and it's a it's a it's going to be of a one of a kind episode because uh, September 18th, Fidelity celebrated our five year ETF anniversary. Uh, we launched products for the first time in the Canadian marketplace back in 2018. So we're going to take uh, a, an approach, if you will, on the number five. So we're going to talk about 
five ETF misconceptions about the, the vehicle itself. We're going to talk about tr five trading tips. We're going to talk about some highlights, obviously, of the, the things that we've achieved and accomplished at Fidelity. So uh, I guess fair disclaimer to everybody listening, you might hear a little bit more about Fidelity than you usually do on this uh, this podcast, just because, you know, we want to highlight some of the, the great successes that, uh, that our team has, uh, has achieved over the past five years and kind of looking forward, uh, what are some of the things you can expect. And joining me today to have this conversation is one of our staple analysts that's been at Fidelity for for the majority of, uh, if you will, the, this this inception of, of this business line at Fidelity. And that is uh, Audrey Kim, who is uh, an ETF analyst uh, focused on the capital market side of things here at, uh, at Fidelity Investments Canada. So Audrey, thank you so much for joining us. And we're very happy to finally have you on the podcast. Thanks, EJB. I'm really pumped to be on, especially for this episode. Uh, lots of exciting energy in the office. Again, we're celebrating our five-year ETF anniversary, so we're really excited to join. No, and, and that's awesome because you know what? You, you've done so many different, you had so many different roles on the ETF team, Audrey. So I don't think there's anybody better to come talk about the growth that we've seen, that we've had, and kind of the the bumps along the way, because it, it, you know, it hasn't necessarily been a straight line. I mean, we also did go through a pandemic. We've had more than 40 product launches, which I'm sure have kept you up way too late uh, in certain evenings. And, and I know for a fact, you're one of the hardest working people in our team, if not at Fidelity as a whole. So I'm sure you're going to have a, a wealth of knowledge to share with, with our audience. But I guess to kick things off, to, to put everything into perspective, I'll share a few of the highlights uh, that we've had over those those past five years. Fidelity's now at you know 40 ETFs that are listed. We've got trading very close to 4 billion in assets. We're about 3.7 as of the end of last week. Uh, we've got a product lineup that is that consists of various different types of ETFs. We've got obviously at core equity mandates uh, based on, on, on our ETF uh, Fidelity factor, excuse me. We've got active fixed income. We've launched, uh, you know, more thematic mandates in the sustainable or ESG category. We also have crypto. I mean, there's been so many different launches that we've had to have this really robust lineup. And then I, our most latest launch, uh, or one of our latest launches, was our all-in-one ETF suite, which we uh, we finalized, if you will, in 2022. Uh, which are these multi-asset solutions that really packages kind of some of our strongest solutions together. Um, and you know, I guess the the some some launches in some product lines have been more successful than others, but that's the beautiful thing about uh, of having access to so much research and different tools at a firm like Fidelity is that we can really build out this this complete lineup and do so in a fairly quick way, right? Another five years launching forty ETFs that's quite something. So, um, Audrey, I'll, I'll I'll send it over to you. Is there anything that's stuck out over these past five years that you think is worth mentioning? And you know maybe. Some of the stuff that maybe even I, you know, haven't kept an eye on and that, and that are noteworthy that uh, would be interesting to our investors and, and advisors on the line. I mean, I think you capture most of it, EJB, but I would say if there's anything that really sticks out, it's the past uh, few years here. And this is where after we've kind of built out and solidified our building blocks, you know, we rounded out our factor suite. We got our first um, multi-asset solutions launched in the beginning of 2020. We rounded out our fixed income suite. So the past few years, we really focused on expanding our reach and delighting our clients. And what do I mean by that? Um, like the all-in-ones you mentioned, we took our strongest solution 
solutions package package them up so we have a one ticket solution for those clients that are looking for something simple um we we listened and we heard our clients um there were some clients that was looking for a usd purchase option we launched those in the end of 2021 um and also we entered the digital asset space so something mm-hmm. that was very very new for fidelity but we you know, we listened, we understood that there is appetite and demand um, for assets like um, crypto. So that's when we started looking into that. And 2022 was, again, broadening our ETF offerings. Um, we completed our all-in-one suite there with the addition of the 100% equity, which is FEQT, mm-hmm. and our conservative, which was um, Ballpark 4060, um, our Metaverse launch and our Ether launch. And then in 2023 is when we really saw that renewed momentum with our active equity launch. And actually, just last week, we cracked that 3.7 billion milestone. That's 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 awesome. And those are some great points because even like, I guess we've done so much that sometimes some things just kind of get lost in our in our memory. But I mean, how could I even miss out our active launch? Uh, we've had uh, obviously such great success in the past with, on, on the fun side with our active managers here at Fidelity Canada and obviously Fidelity Worldwide as a whole. Uh, you know, these great managers have really strong track records of, of, of performance and, and, and oftentimes even like risk adjusted return wise just significantly, uh, significantly better than, 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 than if you look at just a broad market index. It was quite something to have them now available as an ETF, right? And it's not something that's, that was extremely complicated in reality, right? It's the similar man or same mandate as they're already existing in funds, but wow, just broadening uh, the distribution of, of these of these managers, which are now available uh, via ETF. So I think that's an area where, and we see it in the industry also, right? Uh, where active has become a, a much more I mean, it's still not the size of passive. Let's be honest. It's, you know, a smaller portion of the total ETF industry, but I think it's an area of growth. And as we go forward, you know, there's only so many more passive, you know, uh, indices we can replicate uh, or or uh, replicate indices in a passive way, I should say. Um, So I think there's going to be more growth in the active space, this kind of high active share, notably where it's maybe even tougher to to, to execute uh, uh, passive strategies. So uh, that's one area that I think I'm really excited for in the future here at Fidelity, but also just in the industry as a whole. I don't know if you you echo that sentiment also. Oh, I absolutely agree. And if we even broaden out our, let's say, definition of active to include smart beta or strategic beta, yeah. to include systematic, the growth we have seen in that active space um, in the Canadian landscape, yet alone our partners in the U.S., is absolutely tremendous the past couple of years. Yeah, no, it's uh, such a good point. And, and even when I when so when we when we launched, I, I guess, back in 2018, I'd have to double check these numbers. But the the the, the proportion of purely passively managed ETFs was closer to 75, 76 percent of the total AUM of the Canadian ETF industry. And now it's, you know, below slightly below 70 percent. So, you know, there has been a, a gap, I think, that's slowly closing. Not to say that it's going to be the majority, but once again, you know, it is an interesting trend that we're seeing. So that's uh, really cool. And hopefully we'll, we'll benefit Fidelity as we move forward. So, um, yeah, I guess that was quite a bit of Fidelity talk. Um, we'll probably chime back in with some certain comments, but we're just once again, just really excited about this five year anniversary. And just want to thank anybody, obviously, who's listening to this podcast, who's contributed to that growth uh, in and making Fidelity, uh, a, a, I guess, a notable player in the ETF industry in Canada and kind of. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think you can uh, avoid us any further if you're an, a Canadian investor. So uh, we're really happy about that. 
So let's let's move on to kind of the the core content of the and and this is I'll give full credit to you because this was your idea and I guess maybe after doing forty four podcast episodes sometimes it you know I, I lack a bit of creativity but uh, this is really a cool idea and I jumped on board right away to do okay we're doing five year anniversary let's do like series of fives you know, in topics that we can talk about. And the first one that you brought up was five misconceptions about ETFs. And I think uh, way back when, when we started doing this podcast, we'd kind of done something similar where it was like myths about ETFs, but we can never talk about it enough because even, you know, I, I still go to uh, to meet to meetings with advisors where maybe they're a bit newer to the ETF landscape and they're trying to figure out some of the stuff that they've heard in news, you know, various news, you know, outlets, if you will, of information that are sometimes a bit false or misleading about the ETF vehicle. So I'm going to send it over to you and say, you know, let, let's run through five different misconceptions and, you know, I'll, I'll jump in as, as, as I see fit, but I'll let you lead the way with what is your number one myth? or misconception about ETFs? So my number one myth I would say is ETFs tend to be more volatile because they are traded throughout the day, as in Mm. you have the ability to do intraday trading with ETFs. And I think where I really want to focus on this is really the reality is, is ETF market prices are transparent. So in other words, you can see the actual movement of ETF market prices throughout the trading day, but that doesn't necessarily make them more volatile, just, I guess, more observable. And it's, it's really worth noting that the market price of an ETF is just, it's just reflecting the changing values of the underlying components or the underlying securities and the supply and demand of that ETF in the, in, in the given market. Right. Mm-hmm. So, If we look at the difference between an ETF and an actively managed mutual fund, um, the price of the mutual fund, which also reflects the value of of the underlying securities, is set just once a day, which is um, right after market close, while ETF prices changes throughout the the day in real time. So, for example, the price you uh, you see at 11 a.m. might not be the price you see at 12 p.m., right? But it's important to note that this doesn't necessarily mean that ETFs are more volatile. Their price changes are just more visible or observable, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Whereas a mutual fund, you just can't directly observe that uh, price fluctuation or value fluctuation throughout the day. Yeah, no, that's a really good one because, uh, you know... it's like a, if you think about it, it's similar to like when you see a, a stock, like it can open a certain place, close, like it can reach a, a low during the day and it can reach another high. And then finally it just closes like right back next to the initial price. But it seems like it, it was volatile. But when you look at it from a day to day basis, which is what you would do with a fund, for example, maybe it doesn't look finally like it's volatile because, you know, it ended up very close to the uh, the open. But throughout the day could have been uh, a bit more volatile because you're seeing what's happening under the hood, basically. So to your point. So, um Myth number two. Yeah. So just while we're on the topic of sort of ETF versus mutual funds, myth number two, which would be ETFs are riskier than mutual funds. And in reality, risk is really driven by the underlying assets you're investing in, right? And not necessarily the vehicle used to access those assets, in this case, mutual funds or ETFs. So just like a mutual fund, the risk profile of an ETF is tied to the underlying holdings or the asset it invests in. So a managed mutual fund and an ETF can hold, that holds similar stocks or bonds, for example, will have similar risk profiles. Um, and another example I like to give is an emerging markets ETF um, mm-hmm. or mutual fund may have higher risks than, let's say, a U.S. 
investment grade corporate bond ETF, right? But the, mm-hmm. that risk is independent of whether you choose to hold a mutual fund or an ETF. So funds in general, I'd say, whether that be a mutual fund or an ETF, um, offers greater diversification potential compared to just holding single stocks. No, absolutely. That, that's another really good one. And I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right, because technically, I mean, both vehicles, you can own the exact same holding, like underlying holding. So it really just depends on the strategy itself, uh, not so much the vehicle. Uh, where I guess, you know, maybe some uh, would put an asterisk there is when they do see dislocations to NAV. And I know I don't want to I don't want to open up Pandora's box here. But I remember, you know, periods like March 2020, where you could look at like a similar fund and ETF with the same or very similar underlyings. And one wasn't moving, especially on the fixed income side, the fund and the ETF was was moving more because there was discounts that were applied because, you know, basically, once again, due to the, the higher visibility. But in reality, those tend to be corrected over a fairly short period of times as the market normalizes liquidity. But that's one way that, you know, I guess uh, the devil's advocate could uh, could say that ETFs would be more volatile than funds. But in reality, it's just more, once again, just a function of visibility. So going back to your first point that you mentioned, but really the underlyings dictating the volatility of the investments, not so much the vehicle. That's right. And I couldn't agree more, which leads me to my myth number three. Um, ETFs only apply if you're investing in a very specific component of the market. And I think it's just important to remember, you know, ETFs is just an investment vehicle, right? It's a type of investment vehicle. You can actually use ETFs for a wide range of exposures and outcomes, just like you would use uh, mutual funds. So ETFs just offer lower cost access to specific markets, whether it be a country or an industry. It could be specific themes, whether it be, I don't know, AI or clean tech and or broad exposures. So think MSCI Acqui or think U.S. bond markets um, or specific targeted outcomes like factory ETFs, like we have the Fidelity factory ETFs. So whether that be high quality, low vol, momentum, value, you get the idea. So wide range of exposures and offerings combined with um, ease and speed in which you can actually buy or sell these ETFs means that investors can access investments that may otherwise be out of reach for some people. Yeah, so whether it's a hard, whether it's a hard to access for a market or whether it's, it's for core building blocks for your portfolios or for specific target outcomes, um, there's an ETF available in the Canadian market that can help with that. No, absolutely. And I, I think maybe that, that myth arose uh, just by the kind of the, the way that the industries evolved. Uh, you know, initially, yes, you know, there was like the, the first ETFs, if you will, if you exclude kind of obviously the, what initially was launched in Canada way back when in the 90s with the tips at 35. But like if you look at like spider ETFs when they launched uh, was was actually broad market based. But then you had like sector ETFs were very popular. You also had like uh, region specific ETFs were, were fairly popular. And then you had like a very big boom into like niche, more niche things um, like thematics and things like that, especially in the US, I'd say as the market's bigger, it was easier to do more thematic things. Um, now you're seeing that move to Canada also, but like you can get an ETF that's got 3000 holdings, but you can get an ETF that's got one holding. Right. And that that now exists also like single stock ETFs in the US, uh, not obviously quite here yet. And I don't think they're here anyways here in Canada. Maybe you could correct me there. But, um, you know, it's it, it just shows, once again, kind of the flexibility of, of the vehicle where you can really kind of get anything, anything you'd like. Um, so let, let's move on to myth number four, Audrey. What, what do we got? 
ETFs always trade at a premium to its NAV. Um, so in reality, ETFs can trade at a premium or discount to its NAV. But I think what we should really focus on, and, and it's important to note that the biggest um, risk is really to the ETF premiums and discount and how it's realized when an investor purchases an ETF. Um, so for example, if an investor purchases an ETF when it's trading at a substantial premium, and then sells it at a substantial discount, that's when you're actually going to realize that risk. So I think it's more important to focus on the volatility of a fund's um, premium or discount rather than how much of a premium is it, how much of a discount is it. It's that volatility that's much more important. Um, and, and that's why you do see you know, ETF investors tending to focus more on the average premium um, but the, st the stability of premiums and discounts over time will have much more impact. No, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's mostly like it will impact it as you trade it. Uh, like if you hold the ETF less, yes, it might impact the, the daily fluctuation or the price return you'll see in your in, in your account. Uh, but technically, it's, it, it's, it won't impact. Uh, it won't have a, a, an impact on perform total performance until it's traded. Uh, correct. So like, like you said, if you buy at a premium and sell at a discount, obviously then, you know, that's not ideal on the flip side though, if you buy it at a discount, sell at a premium. Well, you know, maybe you're, you're happy with that. But at the end of the day, I think it's just like you said, to make sure that, or not make sure, but to, to just to understand that a little bit and be conscious of it. But at the same time, uh, shouldn't be a material impact with most ETFs, given the fact that most underlying assets in, in ETFs are fairly liquid, uh, right? Like that's, there's a reason why, there's very little like alternative alternative ETFs with like private assets or like fixed assets that are hard to move and don't get priced every day or throughout the day even. Um, so I think the ETF industry as a whole has, uh, for the most part, respected the reality of the vehicle and just basically not construct like asset managers like Fidelity are not coming out with things that are going to lead to massive discounts and premiums because, you know, there's an asset there that trades every 10 years instead of like every day or every couple of days. Um, so good point. Last final myth, and then we'll move on to something else. But, I, you know, there's, there's, there's got to be a, many other more. But what's number five? So number five is ETFs are just for day traders. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. I am definitely not a day trader, but I sure hold ETFs. Um, <laughs> ETFs are just an effective investment tool for many types of investors. And since ETFs have the same trading flexibility as stocks, as in they trade, um, they're listed on an index, short-term traders can use ETFs to quickly move in and out of a position um, because they can be traded intraday. But also, ETFs are just a cost-efficient way to build a long-term core portfolio. So it's no, it's not just for day traders. Sure, you could trade it um, for short-term purposes, but they're also a very effective tool to build a long-term core portfolio. That's that's a great point. It's not because you can day trade them that you should day trade them. Uh, there's a there's a big difference there, and I'm sure that applies to many things in life. But uh, all that said, uh, that's a great point, right? Yeah, you you definitely can trade them more uh, more more frequently and more often just because of the nature of the vehicle that it's you know you get priced throughout the day, uh, but. You know, long term investors, you can see this as really core building blocks and portfolios. And that's obviously what, uh, what 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 we're trying to build in terms of the solutions that we have anyways here at Fidelity is that these are long term investments. And I think of the factor space specifically, um, you know, the longer you tend to hold a factor ETF, the higher probability you have of realizing 
uh, the st- or capturing strategic alpha over time. So that's just, I think, a great example with regards to our lineup anyways, that that proves that, you know, time is your friend, generally speaking. So that's very good. That's five myths. Um, okay, let's let's move into trading tips. And obviously, uh, I mentioned it earlier in your role now at Fidelity, you are on uh, our capital markets team. So you you work with market makers on a daily basis, you work with uh, advisors and investors, you know, trying to execute trades. So this is really your bread and butter, if you will. So uh, obviously, no better person to to name us your five ETF trading tips. So let's start with number one. And once again, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in if there's anything that uh, that I can add. Yeah, so number one, and I've, I'm starting this one, um, starting with this one on purpose. And that is use <laughs> limit orders. I mean, if I had to provide just one tip, limit orders would be it. And I'll say it one more time for the people in the back. Use limit orders. Um, And I'll tell you why. Limit orders are a particularly valuable tool for trading um, thinly traded securities, you know, and especially when even a small order have the potential to represent a high percentage of a given ETF's average daily volume. Uh, that's when limit orders can be particularly important. But I think just in general, using limit orders Mm -hmm. is good practice. Um, And by using limit orders, you're setting a specific price at which you're willing to buy or sell that ETF. So you're better able to control your execution price so that there's no surprises. By contrast, with the market order, you get the prevailing market bid or ask price. But again, you're opening yourself, you're exposing yourself to that factor of surprise should something change, right? So, mm-hmm. and obviously, it's I, I should note that there could be potential pitfalls or cost to using limit orders, and that would be just time and incomplete execution. Um, let's say the market moves a bit, so your full order doesn't get filled. Um, but... I think it's just important to note that these costs or pitfalls need to be considered against the cost of an unfavorable mm-hmm. or un- unexpected execution. No, that's this is the like you said. I think if there's one tip that we had to give, this is definitely be one. Just because I feel like I've heard a lot of nightmare stories with market orders where somebody's putting in an order and then you know uh, f- realizing it only like even maybe not even on the spot. Then you're like, wow, okay, I got. I got two cents more more on my on on my offer than than I was expecting. Well, that's maybe because it was a fairly large order, and there was the 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 you know the ask price that you were seeing, for example, when you're buying. Well, that was for the first 500 shares or the first 2,000 shares, and then the others, you know. So you, in, unless you have you know access to full depth, which even then it's probably not worth it. You definitely want to use limit orders, and I think there's. And you you mentioned pitfalls. I think you know the 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 positives far outweigh the negatives with regards to uh, limit orders versus market orders. So really good first tip. What what would be tip number two, Audrey? Tip number two: trade when the underlying market is open. So if you're trading an ETF that invests in securities that trade in markets outside of the domestic market, um, it's best to trade. Uh, when the constituents of the ETFs are actively changing hands in their home market. So, for example, um, it would be best to trade Fidelity's international high quality ETF during the morning while European markets are still open. So, And that's because during these overlapping trading hours, it's much easier for market makers and market participants to keep FCIQ's price in line with its NAV. 
as mm -hmm. the underlying holdings are still being bought and sold in real time across international markets, right? And mm -hmm. once the international markets close, market makers um, tend to rely on the future uh, on futures as a guide in setting prices. So inherently, it's a little less re reliable touch uh, touchstone, and that can be reflected in the spread. Yeah. So basically, is market makers need to to to, to manage their risk also when those underlyings are not trading correct. So I think it just and, and it's same thing as as you would do with 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 any asset that you're that you're trading if you don't know the the value that you're you know going to have to sell or buy it uh you, you're going to want to protect yourself so that makes a lot of sense and uh that's another one where i've heard a couple you know uh tougher stories of you know i needed to make a trade later but then the spread was much wider so then finally ended up not working and and often what happens in is when i'm talking with with advisors is uh, you know, I, I get uh, an ask like, oh, why, why is this ETF got a 10 or 12 cent spread uh, when usually it's at one or two cents? And, and, and generally speaking, it's I, I look at the ETF in question. It's either like you said, it's it's a market that's closed on the underlying. And then, you know, the best uh, the best recommendation is is to be patient, unfortunately, and, and to, to, to execute it in more uh, optimal uh, times, for example. So that's a really good one and definitely applies to markets like international specifically, um, you know, obviously could be others, but that, that's definitely one I think that comes to mind. That's very uh, common. Um, that was a good number two tip. What's what's number three? Yeah. So speaking of optimal, um, my third tip would be just avoid trading around market open or close. Um, and the reason yes. being just it, it's best to avoid trading right after opening bell because it actually takes ETFs a while to wake up in the morning, I like to say. Um, and it's because it takes some time for all the underlying securities of the ETF to begin trading. It's That period is actually called the price discovery period. Um, and, and during those times, market makers uh, may demand wider spreads as compensation for price uncertainty because they need to manage their risk, right? So I also say it's also a good idea to avoid trading ETFs, you know, as we approach market close, um, because as the market winds down towards the end of the trading day, uh, many markers might might step take a step back um, from the markets to make sure they limit their risk heading into the close. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in light of these considerations, it just makes sense to wait, you know, about 15 to 30 minutes after opening bell um, and just before close. Um, and I'm not saying that you can't trade at this time. So if you if you do wish to trade at this time or you need to trade at this time, going back to tip number one, use limit orders. That's a good point. So see, all these things will tie in together beautifully, I'm sure, once we get to number five. And then, you know, you'll have a, a very good guide on, on things to, to avoid and, and to do. But this is another one kind of it's kind of in the same vein as like when the underlyings are are, are trading uh, like your number two tip, whereas, you know, there are better times just because of other factors. So obviously the underlying uh, being open is one of them. But then timing, like you said, is that there also is generally more volatility around the beginning and, and, and end of the market day. So that's going to lead to uh, to, to less risk uh, taking, if you will, among uh, market participants. So um, makes a lot of sense. Let's move on to number four. Number four is if you're making a big trade or a large block trade, phone a friend. In this case, that friend could be, you know, the ETF Capital Markets desk here at Fidelity. <laughs> So if you're looking to execute a large trade in an ETF, it might help uh, to reach out to your dealer or the fund provider's capital markets desk. Um, and here at uh, Fidelity, we have actually an ETF capital markets 
desk and I, I am one of the investment analysts on that team. And we can help connect our clients to liquidity providers. Um, and on top of that, we can also just provide trading and liquidity consultations and provide insight on um, efficient ETF execution strategies when you do have a large trade that you're looking to place. And a lot of the times um, folks usually ask me, so, you know, how much? How much does it need to be for me to make that call worthwhile? And I'd say there's really no hard and fast definition as what qualifies as a large trade. Mm -hmm. General rule of thumb is anything that accounts for 20% of an ETF's average daily volume. But that being said, we're always here. We're always looking to support. If you want that support, give us a ring. We're more than happy to help. Um, But I would say by contacting an ETF provider's capital markets team or contacting a liquidity provider, investors can potentially save themselves substantial execution costs uh, by getting that assistance. And that's a great point. And I think obviously that's specifically true. I mean, in in what you were saying with regards to our ETF capital markets team, with regards for for the advisors uh, that are listening into to the podcast, if you're an investor and you know you're you're obviously maybe not you know you're not going to be in contact with with the the, the fund companies, but you are maybe using a, a, a brokerage platform that uh, that has a line you know an, uh, an assistance line also to help execute trades. I know you know we're part of the younger generation where we seem to do everything on ourselves online or in the apps or whatever. But uh, the reality is you can still reach out to people at most discount brokerage platforms to get help uh, to execute trades. I I don't I've never done it, but I know it's out there and it can help for sure. Um, but we are biased, you know, we're part of the industry. So these tips, we've heard them many times before. But, uh, you know, for those that are maybe newer investors to trading ETFs, it doesn't hurt to reach out to somebody that, uh, that that's uh, specialized in this, if you will. And if you're using an advisor, well, you know, understand kind of the, you can reach out to that advisor also, obviously, to get their tips. So um, very good tip. Let's move on to the last one. I mean, Heck, we're already at 33 minutes. This is lo- this is what it would be one of the longer episodes that we've done. And I feel like we could go on for another 30. But let's wrap up with our final tip and then we can uh, wrap it up with some closing comments. And I'll make this one short and sweet. So if you don't want to trade ETFs for whatever reason that is, you can always consider a mutual fund, right? So I recognize that ETFs aren't for everyone. And, you know, really depending on your per- personal preference and your circumstance. And if you don't really value intraday trading, uh, and you just wish to forego navigating the ins and outs of ETF trading, a mutual fund is just just a great option as well. And here at Fidelity, we offer um, most of our ETFs in a mutual fund version, so you can select the investment that best fits with your book of business. That's such a good point, right? And I don't think it's the case for every ETF provider out there, but obviously at Fidelity, given, you know, we work so closely with with advisors across the country that it was, it was, it was, you know, about utmost importance for us that the majority, like almost the entirety of our ETFs are also available in in fund series where you can buy them as you would a traditional mutual fund. So that's a really great tip also. And that option is all obviously out there um, to, to be considered. So Audrey, this was this was awesome. We ran through a lot of stuff. Um, you did an awesome job. So that means unfortunately for you or fortunately, I'm going to have to have to get you back on uh, eventually. And, and it's definitely going to be before we have our next five year anniversary. So we'll think of some new cool topics to come up with. And actually, you know what, I might let you decide because I thought this idea was really cool to do the the five year anniversary theme and to celebrate that because uh, it's truly been a lot of work by a lot of people at the firm. So I want to take the time to thank everybody on our ETF team, but then especially to thank everybody 
either listening on to the you know to this podcast episode that's contributed to that in a way of uh you know investing in some of fidelity's etfs or uh you know just just investing in etfs in general in the canadian etf industry and supporting that whole uh the, the whole thing the thing that makes everything go the world go round if you will so that this was really awesome audrey uh thanks again and i guess any closing words remarks that you'd like to add happy five-year etf anniversary <laughs> thanks awesome. ejb yeah, no, I, I, I guess one thing I'll say, I, I'm kind of jealous that you guys get, got to have cake on Monday and I unfortunately was not there in person. So I'm going to have to take you guys up on a piece of cake when I get to Toronto next time. But uh, <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity ETF Exchange. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the ETF Exchange powered by Fidelity Connects. Don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a five-star rating or review. Thanks again, and see you next time.